welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We read from Acts chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a, with a, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them. They threw them and gave them orders to beat with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer, 
called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. The jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. So our text today continues the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and those others who would travel with him. Now there's going to be a really, an interesting note here in the chapter that doesn't get picked up on, well, Luke shows up, not by name, but by pronouns. Up until this point of the gospel, we have not heard of Luke, other than him introducing himself as the, the writer of this book, sorry, the, the Acts of the Apostles, the book that Luke writes second after he's written his gospel account. And it doesn't happen until, what is that, verse 10? So let's, let's make sure we pick up on that when we get back to it. First, as they continue their journey... Paul is in Derby and Lystra, so he's still in Galatia, in Asia Minor, and he meets Timothy there for the first time. Timothy's going to become a prominent pastor, pastor in the early church, uh, and so Paul wants to take him along. Now, Timothy's mother is a Jew who believes in God, while the father was a Greek. Paul, well, Luke, I should say, Luke has been referring to the Gentiles who, who believe in God as God-fearing, and so this is distinctive. Uh, Timothy's father does not have faith. He's not God-fearing. He's introduced to us as a Greek. So the people in Lystra, the church, the people of the church in Lystra and Iconium, they appreciate this young man, Timothy, and Paul wants to bring him along on the journey, but in order to do so, Paul decides to have Timothy get circumcised. Now, we just had the Jerusalem Council. We just learned circumcision is not necessary for salvation. So why is Timothy circumcised here? Well, there's a distinction being made. It's not done for salvation. It's not done for Timothy's benefit. Timothy is being circumcised in order to be a benefit to others. It's like Paul in his own writings where he says that he becomes all things to all people. As a circumcised man, the Jewish people are going to be more likely to listen to Timothy than they would be otherwise when he tries to share you know, the God of the Old Testament with them. And so there's a, a good distinction to be made there, not for salvation, but in order for outreach, really, that he can evangelize, he can witness the good news. So 
as they travel through these cities, they are delivering uh, the, the Jerusalem Council's decision from yesterday's chapter, and the churches are growing in faith. They're growing daily. The gospel is spreading. Now they go, and they continue their travels here as we move to verse 6. Um, Phrygia and Galatia. Phrygia is just to the west of Galatia. They've been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia. Now, obviously, I don't know the answer to that one. It's the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, this is God's will, God's mind, that he did not send them to that place, nor does he send them later into Bithynia. Now, you know, we could take best guesses. We can look at those who do come to faith in the, in the future of this chapter and, and later and say that it was for their sake. I don't really know, though. Those are just guesses. Uh, the Lord has done this thing. It's, you know... Paul's travels don't often go according to his plan. That can be said of our lives too, right? We make plans for our lives and and God throws us a curveball or a changeup quite often and, and things don't go the way we expected them to go. But God can use us nonetheless. He can continue to work through us as his people. So instead they head up to Mysia, which is in the northwest part of Asia Minor, right on the Aegean Sea. And Troas is a port city there in western Mysia. Paul has a vision uh, of a call for help in Macedonia. So they assume that that is then God's will, and they go, right? Concluding God had called us. Now notice that shift in verse 10. We and us. Suddenly, Luke is including himself in this trip. He was not including himself in this trip as soon as verse 7 when they had come up to Messiah. So, best guess, then, is that we gain Luke and Messiah, maybe Troas, uh, that they have picked him up from there, and he has started traveling with their party uh, as they share the gospel on the rest of the second missionary journey. So they go from Troas, they head over to Samothrace, which is an island on the Aegean Sea, so they're, having, they're traveling northwest. They continue, and they land in Neapolis, which is in southeastern Macedonia, so as you're going up from Asia Minor, you, you would have to pass through Thrace if you were going by land to get to Macedonia, but they went by sea. And they came to Philippi after that. Philippi doesn't have a synagogue. It's not a Jewish city. In fact, it's a Roman city, a Roman colony, as it's called here, that is a retirement location, basically. Roman military officers retire and if they served well, they retire to Philippi, where they're taken care of pretty much for the rest of their lives. So that's why there's no synagogue in this location for Paul to do his normal thing of preaching first in the synagogue to the Jews, who have the Old Testament and can be pointed to Christ rather easily as their Messiah. And so he instead looks for a place of prayer. And he finds one, and there we learn of the woman named Lydia, who is from Thyatira, that's back in Asia, and she sells purple goods. Purple is a rare color and thus very expensive. Um, so just a, a note about her personally and what she does. But she's a worshiper of the Lord. We learn there in verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart. This is how faith comes. You can use this example or you can use Saul's own conversion back in chapter 9 to have a conversation with your kids about this. How do we come to faith? Do we choose to believe in Jesus? As you look at these two examples, there's no choice being made there. Uh, the Lord is the one who opens the heart. The Lord is the one who brings us to faith, and it's a gift that he gives, and it's a gift that we rejoice in. 
just as the jailer is about to before we finish our text today. She's baptized, as is her entire household. That's also going to be true of the jailer's entire family. Um, And just before we even get to that point then, as we think of the idea of infant baptism, uh, the question, why do Lutherans baptize babies when some other Christians don't? Again, it comes to a couple of things we were just talking about. First, it's not our decision. Um, We don't choose God, but God you know, he, he saves us, he rescues us, he gives us that gift. Why would we want to withhold a gift from our children? We know that baptism saves. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says it pretty plainly, pretty straightforwardly, and that salvation is God's work, not ours. So if baptism saves, it's not my job, it's not my work, it's God's work that he does to me. So we baptize babies for that reason. Also, though, as we see in this text, one that you'll hear quite often, both with Lydia and the jailer, and it's not the only case, right? We've already seen Cornelius earlier in the book. Their entire households get baptized when they believe. Their entire households are welcomed into the faith. Should we expect that in all of these households, especially as they're they're wealthy people that we're talking about, especially Cornelius and Lydia, that there weren't any kids, that they didn't have children, that their servants didn't have any children, or there weren't any grandkids or or nieces or nephews running around in these large extended households? That seems fairly unlikely. Now, that's not a a slam-dunk case, then, for infant baptism, that, that one there, but it's at least something to get you thinking. Let's continue back on our topic here. Um, They're going onward, and they meet a slave girl who's demon-possessed, and that the demon gives her the ability to tell the future, and her her owners use that to make a lot of money. The demon is crying out in her, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. You might have noticed in Jesus' ministry that the demons speak truth when they speak of him, and we see that here too. Demons do not have the ability to resist or reject God himself. Uh, you know, if God... If they're in God's presence, they bow down. If, if God wills them to do something, they do it, even against their own will. And so that's the kind of thing that we're seeing here. The oddity of this, this little section is that Paul does not drive the demons out out of mercy to the child. right? Why does he do it? Because he gets annoyed. That's, that's a really odd bit right there. I don't know what to tell you other than perhaps just to think of it and, and remember that Paul himself is still a sinner. We're, we're still sinners until Christ uh, takes us home at the time of his second coming and, and the resurrection of all flesh. The owners see that the, their income source is gone, and so they seize Paul and Silas. Uh, now again, this doesn't speak well of them either. Right? They're not arresting Paul and Silas because of their preaching, even though that's the excuse they're going to make. They're only upset because their, their money's been impacted. Had that not happened, they don't do anything here. The magistrates are Roman officials. Uh, they, they claim that the, the, the brothers are disturbing the city, which would be of, of concern right, to the magistrates that their city is being disturbed. And these guys are doing it. They, they might have made up, verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. If there's a truth to that, it's the idea of not worshiping Caesar, but we don't see that here in the text. 
and the Jewish people seem to get along in the city just fine before they get there, so it's hard to really say. This might just be trying to slander them and, and get the get the the guilty verdict that they're looking for. So the crowd and the magistrates attack them together. They throw them into prison. They put them in the stocks. That's not something that you're going to reenact, but it is something you could talk about with your kids, especially in light of the miracle that's coming up. How, how are they going to get out as their feet are chained or in stocks? Um, stocks. Stocks being like what you're used to in old Western kind of stuff where they've got the person, they've got the wood with the holes in it that opens up. So you've got the holes for the hands and the hole in the middle for the head and then they close the wood on them and they're just stuck there. Um, this is for the feet though, not for the, the head and the hands. So they're in jail and they're praying and they're singing hymns. That's a great one to talk about as a family with your kids and a good encouragement that we actually memorize today. Maybe our culture gets bad and you are in a position like this where you're in prison. Maybe that doesn't happen, but maybe you find yourself in the middle of, you know, on a trip, you're not in your home, you're out and about, you're walking on the road, or whatever your position is where you actually have a chance to share Christ with someone and you don't know what to say. Well, it's great to have scripture memorized there or prayer memorized there. Or if you're in a nursing home as an elderly person, the the number of times that I have heard other pastors and myself who have had those experiences with these people who can't remember their own family, but they remember scripture. Their faith is still strong and you can still see it and hear it from them. And while that ultimately doesn't do, well, I shouldn't say that, it does matter for the person, but it matters a lot to their family too. To be able to hear that grandma still can say the Lord's Prayer, even though she doesn't know her grandchild's name, that's comforting, it's encouraging, that they're going to see her again someday. So knowing scripture, knowing hymns, gives us the ability to preach and to teach and even to be comforted in these difficult times in life. And that's what we see here. The apostles, well, Paul. Paul's the only apostle here. And <laughs> Paul and Silas and, and others are singing. The prisoners are listening so they're sharing the gospel with other people through song right now. And then a miracle happens. The Lord frees them with an earthquake. And instead of running, they stay. They stay put. They stay in jail. Even though their bonds are broken, they're free. The jailer doesn't know that, wakes up, and is about to kill himself when he notices the prison doors are open. You might wonder why. The simple thing to this is that for prisoners to have escaped is a capital offense for the jailer. So once it's known that the people in his charge got away, whether it's because he's inept or because he's a traitor, those who are in authority over him are probably going to have him beaten, tortured, and killed. And so to avoid and go ahead and skip over all the nasty stuff, he's just going to end his life quickly. That's his plan. But then Peter, sorry, Paul announces that he's still there. Do not harm yourself. They stayed. They gave up the ability to flee in order to continue sharing the gospel. That's profound and something to think about here in the text. So he is trembling with fear, but he asks how, how he can be saved. He recognizes the, the, the gravity of this moment, and they give him the simple instruction, believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. Not just him, but also his household, as they then go and speak that good news 
to his family as well. You know, just saved your husband, just saved your dad. Yeah, opportunity for preaching the gospel certainly happens there. They all come to faith. They believe. They're baptized. The jailer cleans their wounds, wounds and he gives them food. He gives them a, a meal to eat together. They rejoice together. The magistrates try to send them away the next day. Um, but Paul makes the point that he's a Roman citizen. Well, he says we, so that means uh, it looks like Silas too. And that thus what they have done is wrong. Roman citizens are provided extra protection under Roman law than others were. The magistrates might have been able to get away with beating a couple of guys from, you know, Philippi, for example. Oh, no, Philippi is a bad example. But Macedonia or Thyatira or Bithynia or wherever. But an actual citizen of Rome? Hmm, that's different. A citizen of Rome has has that special protection. Without a trial, you can't touch them. You can't harm them. And so what they had done could bring about disastrous results about the magistrates themselves. And Paul pushes that. It's hard to see why he pushes for it here in this example. Why he makes this appeal. Perhaps it's similar to the jailer that he's seeking for them to be able to hear and believe. Um, that they realize that he is showing mercy to them. And he's trying to spare them, but I don't know. The text doesn't say. They get an apology and they leave. They visit Lydia, they encourage the brothers, and then they go off on the next leg of the second missionary journey.